All right, we're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at chapter 5 this morning, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just a little bit of history here. Uh, By the end of the first century, just a a few years after Jesus wrote these or spoke these words and they were written down for us by Matthew, Rome had expanded almost to the limits of the known world. The Caesars came to be deified, I understand, as a means of maintaining unity among many diverse peoples. I, I don't know that they really believed that they were gods, uh, certainly they were powerful men, uh, but uh, you know, you've got people all over the globe really that they're conquering with all different religious beliefs and uh, you know, uh, natural beliefs and all of that kind of thing. And so they decided that it was compulsory to give a verbal oath of allegiance to Caesar once a year. Uh, you would be given a certificate called a labellus after you publicly proclaimed Caesar is Lord and then you were free to worship any other god or gods you chose. Christians obviously refused for which they began to suffer confiscation of their property, loss of work, imprisonment, and even death. It was, I guess, the equivalent of a green card. You know, you couldn't... People wanted to know if you had your certificate with you, and they said, well, no, I'm a Christian. Well, then you couldn't get work, and uh, it it just created a lot of problems. The second century Christian leader Tertullian was once approached by a man who said, I have come to Christ, but I don't know what to do. I have a job that I don't think is consistent with what Scripture teaches. What can I do? I must live. To which Tertullian replied, must you? And uh, pretty heavy, these these, uh, early Christians. You know, it's like, no, you don't have to live. You have to serve Christ. Now, the the word translated persecute and persecuted is derived from a word meaning to harass. And it came to mean unjust treatment or physical abuse of many kinds. We have rights under our laws that we can and should exercise if we are physically abused. It's okay for a Christian to take advantage of being a citizen of the United States. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes it, there's a... We just need to understand there's nothing great about just taking punishment. However, we should do it with the right attitude. And we shouldn't always demand our rights when we are wronged until we've sought the Lord. Uh, ask Him what He would have you do. Paul the Apostle, there were times in his missionary journeys that he endured terrible abuse. And then there were a couple of times when he felt that he should invoke the fact that he was a Roman citizen and he had rights under Roman law. Uh, Philippi, he's uh, beaten and thrown into jail. And uh, that's where they had that beautiful concert at midnight. The jail shook and everybody was escaping and and uh, Paul took care of that. And the jailer's house, uh, jailer and his household were saved. And he went back to jail, locked himself up. And then the next morning, when the Roman officials were going to set him free, having taught him a, a lesson, 
beating him and putting him in the stocks overnight inside the jail, he said something to the effect of, yeah, I forgot to mention I'm a Roman citizen. Is that a problem? Which, of course, you, you couldn't treat Roman citizens that way with, uh, without due process. Commentators speculate that, well, they don't know why Paul did that, but the result of it was the fledgling church that he had begun was, uh, it was kind of a ha hands-off as far as the officials were concerned because they weren't sure if Paul was going to come back, I guess, and say, these guys beat me and, and uh, threw me in jail without due process. It was the equivalent of the Rodney King video, I guess, at, at that time, or something like that. Uh, and so, uh, later on in Paul's career, he, is, he appeals to Caesar, which any Roman citizen could do, but few did, because Caesar almost always... He wasn't a very appealing guy, good way of putting it. Caesar almost always upheld the lower court rulings and didn't really have much time. He was practicing his fiddle a lot, and so he didn't have much time to hear these things. And so if you appeal to Caesar, you pretty much were going to die. Uh, took Paul a couple of years, I think, to get to Caesar through a lot of you know nasty things that he had to endure. But again, it seems like that was God's method for getting Paul to Rome. Paul had always wanted to go to Rome and... Uh, just never got there, and then all of a sudden he appeals to Caesar, and, and he goes to Rome on the Roman dime, uh, escorted by Roman guards and those kinds of things. And so it's okay to have a citizenship and to obey the laws of our country and to use the laws of our country. Uh, but I, th I think because we live in such a great nation and we have so many rights and we talk about the Bill of Rights and all of those things, I think our first reaction is, uh, is to demand our rights when we've been wronged. And as Christians, we need to at least consider that if we're being wronged for the sake of the gospel, for Jesus' sake, for righteousness' sake, uh, then we might want to seek the Lord as to what reaction he wants us to have in terms of how we deal with that. Overall, we should have a rejoicing, glad attitude. The word revile here means serious insult. And, I, you know, for different people what you would consider a serious insult and what I would consider to be different. But I think sometimes we're a little bit soft. I mention this from time to time. So the little things bother us too much. And, you know, what Jesus had in mind here was something quite serious. Uh, it's what we would actually categorize as verbal abuse. And so when we talk about persecution and reviling, a Christian can expect both physical and verbal abuse in their life. Uh, as a uh, Christian, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. But not just expect it, we see here that it's cause for rejoicing. And uh, just in passing, we should compare this to our modern attitude, for example, that verbal abuse of any kind is never to be tolerated. Uh, we've turned it into this catchphrase, political correctness. And so at, at our workplace, in the in the world at large, we have this idea that everybody has to be spoken to a certain way and we have to make allowances for everything. And, and I'm not against that. I, I think sensitivity is good. Um, I don't think we should be offending people left and right. Uh, but Jesus said there's gonna be, you're going to be verbally abused as a Christian for the sake of the gospel. And when you are, you should get all excited about it. You, you, it should be really the highlight of your day rather than come in and say, oh, my boss is being mean to me, and I don't know why I'm working so hard. And, uh, you know, 
I, I remember a guy years ago, he's a little bit tougher now, but he had a job that involved mowing a lawn, a big lawn, and uh, he mowed that lawn one day, and then his boss remowed it, and uh, which to him was a slap in the face, and he was crying about it, you know, because he took his lawn mowing seriously, and I said, you weenie. I mean, if he wants to re-mow it every time you mow it, what's the difference, you know? And so I, I think sometimes we, we need to just toughen up. It says here they uh, say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Now, this is verbal abuse that occurs behind your back. Serious insult to your face, verbal abuse, uh, uh, evil speaking uh, falsely behind your back. Just make sure it is false, that there's no cause for it. Again, I say that we have legal recourse, but we first seek the Lord for his spiritual counsel. And in any case, rejoice and be exceedingly glad if you are so treated. It, and this, this exceedingly glad, I just glanced at it in the Strong's Concordance, uh, and it means to jump for joy, which I think is kind of interesting. Athletes jump for joy, right? Uh, who, who can't... huh? Yeah, I mean, just uh, I mean, everybody has it bur some memory of of you know the World Series or the Super Bowl or some sporting event where they won and then they just jump straight up, oh, yeah, they grab each other and they pile on and they dog pile and stuff. This is the word that would be used for that. They were jumping for joy, and we understand that when the Super Bowl has been won. Well, I guess. I mean, at least it's contextual. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it, they're excited and they've achieved something. And, and the Lord is using that. He says, man, you know, when you've just been verbally insulted. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, do a Mia ham, you know, pull your jacket off and just start twirling it around. And, and that's literally what he's saying here. Uh, it's expressive. And so the idea is that this is more than just an internal joy. Sometimes I think we have the idea that, OK, you're being abused or. Uh, you know, persecuted, and you think, well, in my heart, I have joy, a settled, deep-seated joy, you know, but outwardly, I'm, I want to remain somber about it. The Lord says, man, jump for joy. And, and as we work through the book of Acts, we're going to see these guys several times just, thank you, Lord, that we got beat up for you. I mean, that was, did you see that? I mean, I got beat up for God more than you, you know, and I mean, this was the Super Bowl of suffering for these guys, you know. <laughs> Now, note the qualifier again for both physical and verbal abuse. It must be for my sake. It must be on account of your testimony for Jesus Christ, uh, a testimony of right living. It must be for righteousness' sake. This ties into the previous beatitude that these abuses come, not because of your own faults and failings. And so uh, I think you understand that. And we looked at this last time, this idea about righteousness or for Jesus' sake. Righteousness... Biblical righteousness is confrontational by its very nature. When I say that I have been declared righteous by God, I am saying to people, the world is condemned, all people are sinners, and I have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you need to be saved that same way because you also are a hell-doomed sinner. And right now you're in the category of Saddam Hussein. I mean, you, you know, I mean as far as destinations go. You know, you're on the same plane, you know, and stuff. And people don't like that. Uh, I would hope that, you know, but it's true in, in the sense that you're either saved or you're not. And so it becomes confrontational, even though you, you know, the idea about 
uh, all religions, in a sense, are, are you know evangelical. I mean, obviously, if you believe something, you want other people to believe it, and 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 you think it's the truth. Christianity, especially so, because you uh, you're motivated by love. You know, it, you know that it's real and it's true, and there's a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid, and uh, of course, you want to tell people about it. And so, but as you do you understand that you are telling them something terrible about themselves. You're giving them some really bad news, and people don't like to admit that they're sinners. And so that's why we've tried to develop different ways of explaining what the Bible means by sin. I, I like to ask people, are you perfect? Okay, okay. most people are going to say, well, no, no one's perfect. Okay, well, then, okay, now you can enter into the realm of what, what it means to be a sinner. It just means you're not perfect, and, and you're in trouble, and we're all in that same boat together. To the extent that people understand this, they may be offended and want to strike out. <clears throat> then Jesus says it's for my sake, and that also reminds us that there's a spiritual war going on. The real hatred and animosity is not necessarily against you. It's stirred up by the devil against Jesus Christ. There, there's this spiritual warfare that's taking place in a, a realm that we don't often see into. Uh, we're kind of in that. It, we're, we're stuck in that. Uh, and so uh, when Paul says in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, you can apply that to the situations you find yourself in where things aren't going well and people are against you. There's something behind that. It's not that your boss hates you necessarily. Uh, it, it's that he's being stirred up in a spiritual dimension uh, because there is this warfare going on. And especially when things are happening that don't make sense and that don't, you know, kind of track and you can't explain yourself, probably there's some spiritual component to it uh, that, that you don't quite understand. If you are persecuted, you get double the blessing because we saw in verses 10 and 11 that you'll be blessed. Uh, we talked already about the blessing of the kingdom of heaven last time. Right now we have the blessings uh, of all spiritual blessings in heavenly places that we can draw upon as we uh, go about our business. Then when Jesus comes, he'll establish the kingdom on earth and we will be blessed to rule with him in our glorified bodies. And then, of course, the kingdom goes on in its eternal uh, state uh, and we'll be blessed beyond measure. Then in addition, he says, great is your reward in heaven. This idea of rewards is tough to talk about for a number of reasons, but for one, we think of it in terms of competition. Uh, we're at the end of football season. We've been talking about that a little bit this morning. There's only one national champion. There's only one Super Bowl champion. They're rewarded. Others are not. They'll get the parade while others watch. And so our, our, our idea of rewards... Or just in our home, we, we sometimes, some parents use a reward system for their kids. You reward them for good behavior. They get stars or, you know, whatever you give. And uh, other kids do not. And, and so it, it fosters a kind of competition and a comparison to others. And, and quite honestly, if somebody is rewarded, then they're, in our world, they're better than the other person. They get the trophy, you don't. They beat you. And, and then you you know, are motivated and, and to beat them the next time. And, and so, we, but I, I, we can't think of rewards, heavenly rewards that way because when we get them, 
we're going to stand before Jesus one-on-one and there won't be any comparisons or competition. Jesus isn't going to say, you know, David, you were a lot more spiritual than Gene. And uh, you are, but it won't matter. You know, it'll just be you and Jesus. Uh, And and so so our whole idea about rewards is is different uh, when it comes to heaven. Uh, But Scripture does make a lot of rewards. And so we can't just slight them. The typical response is, well, they don't matter anyway because you're just going to throw them back at Jesus, you know, your crowns and, and, and all that. So... So on the one hand, Scripture seems to motivate us by reward, but then on the other hand, it's like, but they're no big deal. But they're all over the place. You know, we're, we're to be thinking about our eternal rewards. The best I can come up with is that rewards are a culmination of, well, rewards are a culmination of Jesus Christ's work in and through your life. The more I'm rewarded, the more glory it's going to bring to the Lord before any who might be watching. And so it's really not about competition. It's about what the Lord was able to accomplish in and through me. And the idea I get is that the Lord wants to lavish gifts upon me. I mean, he really does. I don't know if you guys really get into Christmas, but, but you know, some people do. And I know my wife, she's really into stockings and stocking. You know, when I was a kid, not to slight my family, but we got one of those stockings you get at Woolworth, you know, just a a plastic stocking that had some generic candy in it. And, and that was cool. That's what I thought stockings were, uh, you know, that everybody had. And, and so uh, then I get married to Pam. Everybody has their own gigantic stocking with their name embroidered on it. And on Christmas morning, there are like the stockings full of gifts. And they're all very unique gifts that have to do with each individual. And then there's gifts piled around them that won't fit into the stocking, you know. And so when Pam says, well, we're just going to do stocking gifts this year, I, it's still going to cost more than, you know, I want it to cost kind of a thing because it's just a lavish kind of a thing. And it's fun. And, and that's the closest thing I have in my comparison where somebody just wants to lavish these gifts on you because they love you so much and, and they, they want to tell you, hey, I've been thinking about it. And so the more that we receive God's grace... And the more that we take in these rewards, the more there's going to be a pile there, you know, around our life. And I know the father is watching. Maybe the angels are watching. And what a what a uh, what a neat way to just bring glory to the Lord to say, you know, Lord, you know, you died for me. You rose from the dead. And and I received all of that. And and I kept receiving what you had because you wanted to. Uh, you know, and there's plenty of scriptures that talk about revealing the glory of His grace and all of that. And so, so that's how I'm kind of looking at rewards. It has nothing to do with uh, comparison or competition. It has to do with you and the Lord. And it's not that you're going to just throw them back at Him and say, "Here, take your rewards." You know, I, you did it anyway. It, it, there is that sense of Him giving them to you and you receiving them, and then you sharing in them. Uh, for all eternity. And so that's, that's a way of looking at rewards. So great will you be re- rewarded in heaven. And that's a natural thing. We understand that. I mean, it seems like people who are beaten up and killed, you know, I mean, I wouldn't argue with that, you know, if I got to have. I'm not going to raise my hand after it's all over and say, you know, just because Peter was crucified upside down, you know, why does he get a martyr's crown and I don't? You know, I mean, I mean that's that's okay. You know, I mean, I understand different people have different paths. Uh, 
And then it says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Think of this from a first century Jewish mindset. Prophets were the great men of their culture. They were their heroes. I mean, when, you, when the prophets were on the scene, they weren't always received very well. But afterwards, they looked back and they revered the... First of all, they were an exclusive club. I mean, there weren't that many of them. We were watching... Some of you have been following President Ford's funeral over the weekend, and, and several times the commentators have mentioned what an exclusive club it is to be an ex-president. And, 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 you know, just there are things that only a few men in, in our history can comprehend. And, uh, you know, and, and when you see them all together, I mean, you know, there's just something special about that. The prophets were much more special than that in, from a Jewish sense. I mean, these, when you talked about Elijah and Elisha and Malachi and all these guys, it was like mind blowing. I mean, these were the giants of, of, of their world. Uh, and, you know, the, the, and in the Old Testament, when these guys showed up, there was fear and terror. There's a, when Samuel comes to visit David's family, it's like, basically, what are you doing here, you know? I mean, you, you never knew if it was going to be a blessing or judgment. You just, I mean, these guys, they, they were God's embodiment on the earth. They were powerful men. And so then Jesus, just almost flippantly, but not, he says, you're in that company if you're persecuted. You're just like the prophets. And, and I mean, wow. I mean, to be in that company, to, to be elevated to that because I'm being persecuted for righteousness sake. I mean, now I can, I am in that exclusive group. I, I mean, it's really a fantastic kind of a thing to say. We, we miss this, you know. I don't think we have any real comparison. We can understand it, but we can't enter into it. That's exactly right. And so uh, we do right uh, to, to honor these men. And then Jesus says, hey, and you, you will be among them if you too are persecuted. And so, guys, when you're physically and verbally abused for righteousness' sake, you're in an exclusive and glorious club. Uh, you don't have to abdicate your rights as a citizen, but you ought to pray about how you should proceed so that the Lord would get the glory for it. Amen? Amen.